from the Tree Line studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another Oaken Hour of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Oak leaves get a bad rap. They're acidic. They cheated cards. They weren't nice to the other leaves on prom night. On today's show, we'll reveal why this is Tommy Rot and tell you how to use all kind of leaves for the wonderful planting time to come. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show. That's right, potential guests are busy apologizing to their oaks. So we will take that heat and help it. Of your telecommunicating questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and furiously fiduciary fulminations. So keep your ears and or eyes right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than earthworms sending you thank you cards right after this. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, rarely does a day go by that somebody doesn't ask me about oak leaves and are they okay to use in the garden and in composting. We will address that issue and tell you something very important about the mulch in your landscape at the end of the show. In the meantime, Lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Justin, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Well, thank you, Justin. How are you, man? I'm well. I'm well. I, well, actually, I've got some raised bed garden issues. And where is Justin well with issues? <laughs> in Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Very good. Always nice to hear from our friends down there in the Music City. What can we do? Uh, okay, so what's up with your beds? Okay, so it's spring. Uh, my wife and I, we just relocated to uh, a neighborhood uh, that, quite frankly, right underneath uh, our yard is probably a lot of rocks and rubble from mm -hmm. recent development. And so I've got, I've got raised beds, and they're on a grade, and I have no idea what to, what to put in them or what, you know, how, to, how to keep them healthy uh, as far as tending to the soil. Uh, you know, I go to the big box store, and there's about a million choices, but, uh, you know, I, I don't really have good direction on what I want to do, and I'm trying to have a vegetable garden this year. Help okay. me out. So you have built raised beds, and they're on a grade, which means that they're not level. Uh, what have you framed them with? Love that question. What does that word mean? Uh, framed. In other words, a raised Oh, framed. Yeah. Got it. Um, in, uh, pine lumber. Okay, just regular untreated pine. Correct. Okay, that'll last for a good amount of time, and by then you'll have learned the best way to deal with what you got. Now, the beds are already built, right? Correct. Um, if we had talked beforehand, I would have urged you to do what's called terracing of them. Okay. To uh, build up the soil underneath the low areas and make the beds pretty flat. Now, how, how bad is the slope? Uh, uh, it's not terrible. Uh, I'd say, you know, it's shallowest. It, we're talking uh, 10 inches, and at the deepest, uh, 12 to 18. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, that gives you, you might even be able to play that to your advantage. Um, so you're wondering what to fill them with. Correct. Yeah, there's a lot of options, and I just uh, I don't know where to start. I would like to get out of the big box store. Uh, Nashville and the Memphis area, there's a lot of local garden centers that have been around for generations. Uh, okay. they, they do good work, and they can hold your hand. Um, you know, the person who helps you pick out your plants on a Tuesday won't have been working in air conditioning duct work on Monday. Got it. So um, what you want to do is essentially you want to fill these beds with half very high quality screened topsoil. Now okay. that means topsoil that um, is screened so the particles are small and it's black when it's dry. A lot of topsoil looks great when it's wet, you know, like the girls in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, but when it dries out, unlike them, it turns to clay. So you want to get some samples. You want to go to these local garden centers. They're all going to have giant piles of compost and topsoil outside. Okay. So go to the one nearest you, the one you like. Take a five-gallon bucket, 
telling me you just want, you know, a couple of gallons of samples of each other's soils. You take them home. The perfect time of year to do this because you still have plenty of time before planting season. Take that soil home, fill two containers with each type of soil, just regular garden pots, whatever you got. Okay. Okay. And leave one empty and plant the other one with the freshest seeds that you have available. If you have seeds for pea and bean plants, they're the best. But anything you have that's really fresh. So you water both containers, and at the end of 10 days, you want that first container to be empty. In other words, it didn't grow any weeds. And at the end of 10 days, you want to see nice starts coming up out of the other pot. You know, good color, good texture. They don't look deformed or anything like that. If you get those two things together, then you know that this compost or topsoil doesn't have a lot of weed seeds and it doesn't have herbicide residues. So you're not going to get any nasty surprises down the line when it's too late to change direction. Whereby, if that first pot that was empty grows a lot of weeds, you know to take a pass on that soil. Same sure. thing if the plants come up look terrible in the other one, there's probably herbicide residues. So half topsoil, half compost. And when I say compost, I mean yard waste compost, not composted manure. Don't buy anything in bags. You know, you want to get the bulk that's been sitting out there. So mi it. mix it together as you fill the beds. And as you mix it together, buy a couple of big bags of pearl white. This is, okay. the, this is the white material you see in the, in the starch you buy pre-made at the garden center. Looks like little styrofoam balls, but it's actually a mined volcanic mineral that's popped, and it really loosens up soil. It allows much more airflow around the roots of your plants, which is tremendously important, especially in a raised bed. So essentially, it's half compost, half high-quality topsoil with a good amount of perlite mixed in as you go, and then you should be rocking, man. And then every, okay. every year, just add two inches of fresh compost to the top of the soil. Maybe mix in some more perlite if you like how that's working out for you. Awesome. All right. Thank and, you so much. And if you want to do some research, mm -hmm. take a look because you'll be able to find good information online about the root systems of different garden plants. The shallow-rooted plants put down at the skinny end. The deep-rooted plants like carrots and stuff... Put those down where you got that long, expansive soil. That's a great place for root crops. You'll get straight carrots. You'll get a ton of potatoes out of that kind of a planting. You'll get beautiful beets. Um, any of the underground plants, they love growing in deep, loose soil. But there are also some garden plants that like to get their roots down deep. So do a little research and plant your bed for the best results. I, I Thank you so much. All That's right. Great. Good luck, Justin. All right. Have a wonderful day. You too. Take care. That number to call, 833-727-9588. Mark, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky today, Mark. Thank you for asking. How are you, sir? I am good. And where is Mark good? I am in Deerfield, Illinois. Okay. Very good. What can we do you for? Um, last fall, when I ordered my bulbs, I uh, zealously overordered. Excellent. And the um, the ground froze basically before I could get them all on the ground. So your bulbs, I, your bulbs, and my garlic. I got I got sucker punched too. I was out there every day trying to see if the ground would unfreeze so I could get my garlic in the ground. Well, so I I took those uh, a bunch of tulip bulbs, which are uh, Mark, you're sold as perennializing tulip bulbs. Good. And I put them in eight-inch pots with potting soil mm -hmm. and put them in the garage for the winter. Oh, okay. Uh, an unheated, un unlit, you know, with no windows garage. Yeah. So they just started to sprout a little bit. Okay. And I put them outside in the backyard as it thawed out this weekend a little. Yeah. And, you know, they'll bloom and they'll be great. My question is, is there any way that I can save them for after they've bloomed and I've let the foliage die back and I, I cut them back? 
uh, that I can save those bulbs and replant oh, them. Oh, yes, yes, but not, not the way you just described. Now, okay. um, what you did was very similar to what professional bulb forcers do. If we get um, tulip bulbs or daffodils or crocus or something and we want to play around, we take some of those bulbs in the fall and we put them just as you did in a, in a plastic pot with good quality potting soil. And then we put those in a beer fridge or some other type of cooler that's never going to have fresh fruit in it because that might cause the bulbs to sprout prematurely. But your cold garage was probably the same thing. So your bulbs are in soil getting the winter chill that they require. So that's really not that different than if you had planted them outdoors. So yes, now we have to remember the tulips, daffodils, all of these spring bulbs, they are frost insensitive. They really don't care about the weather. They're used to coming up in these godforsaken mountains in Turkey and Afghanistan where it's snow covered half the year and it's blazing hot the other half the year. So it's perfectly okay for them to be outside right now. Put them in good sun where you wanna see them. Um, don't feed them yet. Make sure that they get watered if the, all these rains stop for any reason. But enjoy the flowers. Um, they will probably flower for you before any in-ground flowers will. So it's gonna be really cool. You're gonna have a nice forest. You may decide to do this every year. Um, and then when the flowers fade, go out with a pair of scissors and at the very top of the flower stalk, not the leaves, but the flower stalk, at the very top of the flower stalk, you'll see a seed head beginning to form. Cut off right below the seed head. You don't want to take the stalk down to the bottom, because if you do that, you kind of create a pool down there where water can pool up. But, so you want the stalk to remain, but you want to take off that seed head, because that would otherwise sap energy from the plants. So now, because your plants are in pots, you're kind of in the catbird seat because you don't have to leave them out where they are now, you know, where everybody was looking at them and admiring them. Now you can move them to another part of the property as long as they get full sun. And you don't want to mess with the green leaves. The green leaves of the bulbs are going to help grow the flowers for the following year. So even though it seems counterintuitive, it's after the flowers are gone that you feed the plants a gentle organic fertilizer and you protect those green leaves with your life. Get them the most sun you can. I would feed the plants. Again, we're talking about gentle, dilute, liquid organic fertilizers. I would do it two or three times over the course of the spring. And then when the leaves start to turn brown, you can sit on it, man. You don't have to get rid of them. Keep them in a spot where they're not, you know, causing a distraction where nobody cares about brown leaves. And wait until they're just completely done, until they're totally brown. And then pull off those leaves and then just leave the pots outside to be exposed to the summer weather. Now, if you want to do this absolutely correctly, the drier the better at this point. Once the leaves are gone and the bulbs are dormant, they go dormant in two different ways. They go summer dormant and then they go winter dormant. This is the summertime. They like to be out, they like to feel that sun on the soil, and they like to be on the dry side. So no chilling yet. So if you want to protect them, you know, if there's heavy rains predicted, cover them up or bring them inside for a day or two. But otherwise, leave the pots outside and then just about the same time that you would plant new bulbs in the soil, take these pots back to your garage. You don't have to take the, um, the bulbs out of the pots. Probably better if you don't. And then bring the pots back out. This can go on for years, especially you got the, the basic red tulip, right? The ones that are reliable returners. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, the secret, and it's very important to talk about this this time of year because bulbs are coming up around the country. you got to leave those green leaves alone or you won't get flowers the next year. You know, if you wanted to take those bulbs out of the pots and plant them in your soil, do the same thing I said till the end of summer. 
and then reach down inside the pots, take the bulbs out where you live, you would plant between um, Halloween and Thanksgiving, and just put them in the ground. They should be primed and as ready as if they were grown professionally in Holland. Great. Thank you. All right. Well, good luck. You, I don't know if you did it deliberately, if you read up on it, or you got there accidentally, but you did exactly the right thing to force these plants to flower perfectly. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Continued good luck, Mark. Appreciate it. Take care. Hey there, cats and kittens. It's Mike McGrath here asking for a favor from you. I know it's bleak outside, and the last thing some of you are thinking about is your summertime gardens, but now is the time to think about them and talk about them. So give us a call, 833-727-9588, and we'll get you set up for a successful summer. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I'll deliver a Titanic talk on tomatoes at 11 a.m. at Homestead Gardens in Annapolis on Saturday, April 6th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with the final word on mulch and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will give you the final word on using oak leaves to make compost or mulch for your vegetable garden. We'll also tell you something important you have to do with any mulch you have on your garden and do it fairly soon to get ready for the season. In the meantime, though, lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Jason, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you today? I am just ducky, thank you for asking. Jace, how are you, sir? Doing well, doing well. And where is Jason doing well? Well, I uh, moved out to the West Coast, so I live in San Diego at the moment. Oh, baby. Do you have a guest room? <laughs> anytime. Come by uh, anytime. Oh, man. It is my favorite part of the world. La Jolla, Sunset Cliffs Drive, the... Oh, the Coronado, the weather is just, I mean, it's perfect every day of the year. It is, and I feel really uh, lucky to live here. And so where did you move from? Well, I moved from the Carolinas um, where I first started listening to you. I'm in the military, and I got uh, transferred here uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, part of my question is, you know, a lot of the advice that you give uh, is really predicated a lot on kind of the East Coast temperatures and four traditional seasons, a lot of your advice on pruning and planting sure. and watering timelines. Mm -hmm. And Southern California has just such a different climate. It's hard to know which of those theories apply and which do not. You know, I, I don't worry about freezing temperatures here when it comes to seed starting or planting. Um you know, a lot of the rules on fertilizing lawns, all that sort of stuff. I'm just not sure which apply and which don't. We do get different amounts of light. And, right. of course, it does cool down in the winter, but it's it's never as cold nor probably as warm and certainly never as rainy as a lot of the East Coast uh, seasons. And so I'm just trying to figure out 
how to how to modify the advice that you give on a lot of those things for my new climate. Well, you you know, it's not a joke that California, you know, has tried to consider being its own country. Um, it, it is a very different area. And I've spent a ton of time in California. I have been everywhere um, from down in the Baja, right below the Coronado, to all the <laughs> way up in Eureka. And you might as well be traveling between different planets. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. But all gardening is to some degree local. Now, when you talk about lawn care, um, if you listen to the show, you know I always try to make the difference between cool season lawns for the north and warm season lawns for the south. And obviously, as you get down to San Diego, an area that traditionally is dry. I know that hasn't been your problem lately, and I hope everybody's okay. That's been way too much rain up and down the entire coastline. Um, right. But, you know, it's a, it's a different world out there, and you're growing very different plants. I can grow an apple tree. You really can't grow an apple tree. You don't have... You don't have the number of chilling hours, but you can go out and, and pick your own oranges for breakfast, your own lemons, your own limes. There are all these plants that love to grow where you are. I'm going back now to when I lived in San Diego for a couple of months and driving in this older neighborhood, not a, not a fancy neighborhood, and I got out of my car. They had a banana tree in the front yard that was in full flower. The flower, yeah. the flower was as big as a child's head. It was just, and there's bananas all around it. And I'm going, what planet? What planet am I on? So what you need to do is line up with your fellow California gardeners. Um, there are some really great garden centers down in Southern California, some that have been around for absolutely ever. Uh, there are great consultants who uh, can teach you a lot about water harvesting and the correct plants. You can, I think you can, you can grow your tomatoes pretty much all year long. Sometimes, some years, you know, they're gonna struggle in, in the summer because they're not getting those 85 degree days. But there's right. worse things, and there are, you know, a little hobby greenhouse, for instance, that's useless where I live. You can have a little hobby greenhouse in your yard, and boom, that'll give you the extra heat you need to grow fabulous tomatoes. Um, I think peppers are going to do good in your climate, just planted in the ground. But yeah, you have to resist the temptation to go, oh, where I lived before, I could grow rhubarb. Well, you can't grow rhubarb where you are, but where you lived before, you couldn't go out and pick your own orange juice. So right. this is, uh, you know, find out, you sit down with your local master gardener group. See if you can go to a meeting, you know, because they are volunteers out of the extension service of your land-grant mm -hmm. university. Go to a meeting and, and see what these people got. Sometimes... They just read out of a book that's been given to them, and sometimes they give heavily chemical advice. But some extension agents and some master gardeners are as hip as I am about organic conditions and growing mediums. And, but most important, they know what you can grow, when you should plant it, and what's going to do the best in your climate. It's going to be different. You know, heck, it was different for you in the Carolinas than it was for me in Pennsylvania. So you got to garden along, you got to garden in the climate you're in, but you can do so many things. If you, if you, again, if you just don't decide you have to grow blueberries or something like that, you'll be fine. You'll be able to grow a huge variety of plants and I will envy you every day of the week and I'll be up there on the cliffs and I'll be watching the sunset over the Pacific seeing the baby whales frolic underneath. Oh, man. And I still got Yeah, ice. it's the bougainvillea. When the bougainvillea come into bloom, it's really just uh, extraordinary. You, you um, are in a semi-tropical climate. It's dry, which is good to some degree, because when you're in a tropical climate that's humid, it can be deadly. So, I mean, enjoy what you got. I mean, you have, you have no reason to ever go indoors. <laughs> What about Diego. pruning, Mike? 
you know, you talk a lot about no pruning in the fall because of the freezing temperatures. But do right. you think that that would still apply where there aren't any freezing temperatures? No, no. All the rules are different. That it really is just to prevent new growth before the freeze comes in. But where you are, pruning is going to be mostly to control the growth of a plant, to try to keep it at a manageable height. And to do that, you're literally pruning a little bit every week. So instead of going out and doing these big pruning chores, what you're doing is going to be more like topiary if you, if you do any pruning at all. It's just with hand pruners, and if you take care of a little bit every week, you'll have really shapely plants that really fit the space they're in. Well, that's great. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I just um, wasn't quite sure how to modify what you what you normally tell and I that's a really good idea to sit down with some master gardeners in the area and you know for instance planting time. for instance what I've taught you over the years is don't use garden chemicals you know make or find good compost grow in defined areas that you're not walking on all of that still applies so add your local knowledge and the local conditions and the plants that thrive in your area to that and you'll be a California organic gardener as opposed to a Pennsylvania or Carolina organic gardener. That's perfect. Yeah, I really appreciate it. All right. Good luck to you, Jace. I'm jealous. I'm totally jealous, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, and I, I look forward to continuing to listen and growing in this uh, area of Southern California. All right. Good luck, sir. Have a good day. 833-727-9588. Charlie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike, how are you? I am just ducky, Charlie. How are you doing today, sir? Fantastic. And where is Charlie fantastic? Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Always a pleasure to hear from our listeners down in Music City. What can we do for you, Charles? Well, I, I, I've had these ideas about, you know, how to protect... I, I, First of all, I've heard you talk about protecting uh, certain uh, cultivars uh, from wind, from the winter wind. Right. And uh, and I've, I've decided to use some agrimine on my, my regular garden, my vegetable garden, in order to extend harvest and things like that, and to grow some winter crop as well. And uh, and I wondered about my fig trees and how I could, or, or even my rosemary bush, how can I protect them and keep them because we you know you know when it gets down to about 20 degrees or 18 degrees here you know that that rosemary bush just doesn't like it no no it is a mediterranean plant now uh you mentioned the name is it a product what was the thing you mentioned oh it's agrabon it's a fabric it's a garden fabric that you that you uh that you like you put some hoops in across your raised box okay and you lay this stuff over it and 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 pack it down and yeah, no, I had not heard that brand name before. The, mm -hmm. the earliest one and the one that a lot of people here in the north use as a synonym for row cover is Remay. Um, uh, but I presume yeah. it's the same. It's like spun polyester fabric. And Correct. you got yeah. hoops, and it can really dramatically um, increase the temperature around plants, uh -huh. especially small <laughs> plants that are close to the ground, like lettuce. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it would work well for rosemary, as long as the rosemary was not too tall, so to speak. You know, because right. you wouldn't want it. To, you wouldn't want to have to stretch that over top of a, a huge shrub. But right. I will tell you, I've talked to so many experts over the years, and they feel that rosemary dies over the winter. Yes, it always dies during a really cold spell, if it's iffy in your climate. But they say a lot of times they think it dies from um, lack of uh, lack of water displacement. That it's just it just the water can't drain in the winter time. You know, it, there's not there isn't the sun to evaporate it. The plant isn't utilizing it, and even a small amount of water, you know, can be deadly to a plant that is um, is Mediterranean like that. So right. I tell you, right. the the only thing that's ever worked for me with rosemary is uh, to bring it in. I have, uh, I have an enclosed porch that right now is home to two giant birds of paradise, a tropical plants. Uh, my best pepper plants from last year, which have survived the winter beautifully, they're fruiting right now, 
and uh, and some rosemary. So that's I I've just I've just given up and brought it in. But I can also tell you the one year I treated it almost like a dog. I brought it in on really cold stretches, really cold nights, but left it out any time the temperature was going to stay around 30 or above. And that worked well, too. So row covers, row covers have their use. I mean, they're absolutely fabulous to get uh, salad greens going in the spring and keep them mm-hmm. going later into the fall. Um, and how big is your fig tree? Does it die to the ground every year? Uh, no, actually, uh, I do something that you really don't re- you don't recommend. I, I wrap mine in a tarp. Okay. Prevent, and it's on the south side of the house too. Right. I'm, I've moved almost all, all but one of my fig trees to the. I didn't move them. I actually just decided to pull up other things and plant fig trees on the south side of our house. Right. But there's still one that's up there in the northeast corner of the house, and it's. And it's um, and they they do well like that. I mean, they they the wind doesn't get them, and and they and it's sort of protected in that little area. I used to put a bunch of you know wheat straw down there around them to do it, but that doesn't really do anything. I've tried it no. both ways. And, yeah, no, you're right. You're right with what you're doing. No, I generally don't like tarps. The thing I hate the most is clear plastic, because that has oh, the, yeah. that has the greenhouse effect. That heats up on a sunny right. winter day. Um, right. Is it open at the top, the tarp? It is. It okay. Is. Uh-huh. Well, then that's absolutely fine. You're not doing anything wrong. What we don't want to do is smother it or, um, you know, heat it up accidentally. So you got right. this other one in the northeast corner, and that one does die back uh, some winters? Yeah, uh, it does. Uh-huh. Yep. I can't. And, and it, <laughs> I, made the, I made the mistake of, of going in and uh, digging up the one that I thought had died. Uh-huh. <laughs> before I started listening to you. <laughs> and, and I dug that thing up, and let me tell you, it's a two- or three-man job. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you found but out I, it was still alive. Yeah, yeah, I saw a little green spot. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's still alive. I planted it over over uh, just adjacent to where my compost pile is. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know. Um, I have never heard <laughs> of a fig dying permanently. A lot of... A lot of figs that are not protected, that are in an iffy climate, they'll die back to the ground. But I've never heard of the root system dying. They always come back. But if you yeah. let it die back to the ground, there isn't enough time for the fig to regrow big enough uh, to put on figs. Yeah, yeah. But this one's doing okay. It's, it's grown. It's produced. The chipmunks have, have fun with it all, all summer long. <laughs> yeah. I'll, and, I'll uh, and hopefully they leave the other ones alone. <laughs> Yeah, I would I would try it. Uh, if you've got the row cover, I think that would make a great windbreak, just give it a little extra action. Although mm-hmm. I would think that the fig that's in the north would need the heavier protection, like the tarp, and you could try the row cover on um, one of your south-facing right. ones. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Got it. Yes, sir. All right. I sure appreciate your advice, and I listen to you every morning. I, I mean, every morning, every Saturday morning mm-hmm. here in Nashville, and, uh, and and it's fantastic. What a great show! Well, thank you so much. We love being on the air there. Yeah. You take care. Hope you do too. Bye bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the Loving Our Earth Expo at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Exton, PA, on Saturday, May fourth. And then I'll hop on down to the Town Center Garden event in Reston, Virginia, for two shows on Sunday, May 5th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to remove your mulch and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch right now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week. What's so bad about oak leaves 
And what should you be doing in your garden now with mulch to get it ready for a fine summer season? We'll answer those burning questions after a couple of your burning phone calls at 833-727-9588. Sarah, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi there. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing all right today. How are you? I'm just ducky, thanks for asking. Where is Sarah doing all right? Uh, I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, okay. Minnesota, huh? Is there any on the ground uh, still? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, we've still got a good six or eight inches of snow on the ground in a lot of places. And then, and then you'll have a month of summer, right? You know? Yeah, <laughs> it feels that way sometimes, yeah. The river is open, though, and that's what matters. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, uh, where was it? Uh, somewhere up by you, a bunch of guys were uh, taking a risk on being out at their ice houses, uh, fish houses, one last day, and they got caught on an ice floe and had to be rescued. Oh, I didn't hear about that. I've been hearing about the flooding mostly, but uh, gosh, I hope they're okay. Yeah, they were. They were. But can you imagine being out on the ice and hearing this big crack and all of a sudden the shoreline is getting <laughs> further away? They'll, they'll, they'll be bringing their ice houses in much earlier next year. Oh, God, I hope so. All right. What can we do for Sarah? Well, so I have a pretty bad quackgrass problem. Um, it uh, it used to be kind of under control, but then a tornado hit our house, and a <laughs> lot of the surrounding lots in the city uh, had houses torn down or had construction work to repair the sidewalks, that kind of thing. And the quackgrass moved in, and now I cannot get it out of my garden. I can't grow anything. Tornadoes, ice storms. Have you considered moving to a habitable area, Sarah? Well, you know, I would, but Minneapolis is the most beautiful city in the continental United States, so I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty stuck. Well, uh, okay, so all of the, and uh, you have one of the toughest weeds known to mankind. There's no, yeah. no plan around with it now what is the situation you can never talk about a weed out of context what what do you want to be growing there or what was it like before the quackgrass took over so we we have a vegetable garden um it's, it's out back behind the house and also we bought an empty lot uh next door to the house when when they tore the house down there after it was condemned after the storm right uh we they they raised the house we bought the lot so um we want to put the fruit trees in uh and uh that should be fine but before we were growing things like um uh lots of like carrots and potatoes and those uh, the the rhizomes from the clad will just burrow right through a potato. Right, um, right. And uh, and and other kinds of of uh, vegetables. Uh, we're we're it's a homesteader's garden. It's not like a market garden. I don't need it to be pretty, but I do need the plants to not keel over and die or get totally swamped over by the grass. When uh, there was an invasion of quackgrass at the Rodale Institute many years ago, when I was the editor in chief of Organic Gardening magazine, they essentially had to remove all of the perennials that were in those mm. beds, heal them in in a different spot, and then they solarized that soil. I, you're, oh. You are, yeah, but see, with your far northern exposure, I'm not sure you would get enough solar energy over the course of a summer to do that successfully. Now, one thing I gotta well, say, because you're talking about um, starting a new garden where a house was torn down, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we presume that there are high levels of lead in that soil, right? That's very likely, yeah. The, the, the houses in my neighborhood are all from the 19th century. Yeah, so you want to you send the soil uh, test off. Uh, I'm not sure who in your state, if the state soil lab does a, a low-cost lead test. Most states do. So talk to your county extension agent and um, get the test kit, get it uh you know, send it away, get a check for your for your fruit uh, for your fruit patch. Um, the idea yeah. with lead is if it's in the soil and you really can't afford to have it remedied, you don't play with the soil. The danger is in us inhaling the lead, getting it in our hands, uh, getting it in our bloodstream. Mm -hmm. Not so much it being absorbed by the crops because lead is fairly inert. I'm, I wouldn't worry too much about that, but I, you know, you would always have to be wearing a dust mask and gloves when oh, you'd be gosh. working okay. in that soil. You know, lead contamination is a serious problem and it's invisible. It's like high blood pressure. And mm -hmm. you don't get really sick. You just wind up not being as smart as you could have been. So, <laughs> we you can't know, have that. for a lot, you know, I figure I've been sucking on lead for 60 years now, probably. So, um, and then on what was your truck patch, so to speak. I think, yeah. I think there's only, 
one way to approach this, and that's uh, you're going to have to mow the quack grass uh, below the ground. This is a case okay. you, you want to drop the mower blade down as low as you can. You want to see dirt blowing out the back okay. of the mower. And you want to be fairly relentless at this and okay. get as much of it out, get all, all the rhizomes out that you can, but you're, you're never going to get them all. And mm -hmm. then you want to put down, then you got to build raised beds. There's only one way to get around this. And in your case, you're going to put down two heavy layers of cardboard over top of the entire area that you want to be the garden. Okay. And then you're going to frame out areas for planting that are no wider than four feet. As long as you're going to do this, you do it right. And mm. this way, you'll never step in the soil. You'll never compress the soil. You'll never have to till the soil. Once you make the raised okay. beds, the garden will be pretty self-sustaining. You don't use any of your garden soil. You fill the beds with half high-quality topsoil, half compost, and mm -hmm. a good amount of perlite because uh, your moisture is always going to be a problem. Uh, where you are and you want those beds to be good draining and then that uh, the area in between the raised beds the lanes must be two feet that's a great place to just dump wood chips um, okay normally I tell people who are just building raised beds because they want raised beds that they don't have to cover the entire ground but you do you want to kill okay. you want to kill your quack grass and then keep it dead by smothering it and it, it, it'll probably try coming up at the edges and for that, yeah. I would suggest you be ready with either a flame weeder, you know, a little propane torch that's designed for burning oh, wow. garden weeds. Oh, yeah, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> um, or there are new uh, herbicides, uh, broadleaf herbicides, whose active ingredient is iron. But see, one of the problems with grasses, even this kind of a grass, is there isn't that big a surface for the herbicide to hold on to. So okay. uh, I think you'd be better um, you'd be better burning it when uh, when it comes up ar around the edges. And this is this is the never-ending battle. Quackgrass is one of the toughest weeds out there. Yeah, I, uh, I I was looking at the Minnesota Extension Service for advice, and all over the internet, all they say, how do you deal with quackgrass? You don't get it in the first place. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much the line. If if uh, if a rhizome shows up in your garden, you get out there and and get it out and use like tweezers to make sure you got every piece. But <laughs> yeah. this is your excuse to build a raised bed garden, and you don't have to build all the beds at once. Mm -hmm. But you do want to find a good, firm substance that's going to sit on top, um, and keep that quack grass, any of it that tries to regrow. It won't get sunlight. It won't get air. It's 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 the best. It's your best shot at making that ground productive again. And where you are again, when you have raised beds, um, consider um, framing them with stone of some kind because then they'll absorb heat during the day and radiate ah. it back into the soil at night. Where you are, yeah. that could be two extra weeks in the spring of growing and two extra weeks in the fall. Absolutely, yeah. So try to turn this into in, into a mitzvah. Try to turn this into something positive. All right, well, I'll give it my best. Thank you so much. All right, my pleasure. Good luck to you. All right, as promised, it's time for the question of the week, which we are calling Oak Leaves and the Timing of Mulch. Stan in Brookline Station, Missouri writes, are shredded oak leaves suitable for mulching raised bed veggie gardens? The mulch I laid in the fall contains oak leaves as part of a mixed leaf mulch I shredded with my lawnmower. Should I remove that mulch before spring planting? And if oak leaves are unhelpful, can I do anything to remedy any damage once the mulch is removed? Well, I've been answering this oak leaf question off the cuff for close to 30 years. One of my most popular talks is about making compost from shredded fall leaves. And during the Q&A afterwards, somebody will invariably ask if shredded oak leaves are okay to use in composting and or as a leaf mulch. My response has always been, why shouldn't they be? And then I'll explain that black walnut leaves contain a substance called juglone, that can be deadly to other plants, especially tomatoes, even after being turned into compost. But that oak leaves are just, well, they're just oak leaves. But still, the question persists. And I can't remember ever actually looking it up. 
That'd be like reading the manual before you assembled a gas grill. Then you wouldn't have all those nifty parts left over. So I went online and read a lot of articles by people and professionals also wondering why oak leaves got such a bad rap. The consensus? Yes, they are often the last leaves to fall, especially from live oaks who wait until the spring. And yes, they are a little tougher and harder to shred than, say, maple leaves, but there's nothing wrong with them. A website called The Spruce summed it up perfectly, and I quote, Oak leaves seem to be surrounded by myth and misinformation when it comes to their role in mulch. While it is true that they seem to take forever to fall from the tree and the leaves themselves are rigid and tough to mulch, the mulched oak leaf is not acidic. A Michigan State study found that there was no change in the soil's pH after six seasons of mulching oak leaves into a lawn. So there. No, seriously, if anything, you should tell your neighbors that oak leaves are acidic, they're toxic, they're bad for your digestive system and fingernails, but that you, as a good Christian person who has the proper equipment, will take their oak leaves and dispose of them properly and responsibly. Then shred them into your compost bins and bring me any leftovers. Heck, even black walnut leaves, if you can call those feathery little pieces of nothing leaves, are okay if they're only making up a small portion of the mix. Now, shredded leaves as a garden mulch and the important timing thereof. Shred your leaves when they fall and when you can. I shredded a good number of my leaves in the fall because luckily I started as soon as they began hitting the ground. Then we got ice, snow, freezing rain, sleet, boils, and frogs, and the shredders had to come inside. Side note, actually the most important note. Yes, the leaves must be shredded. Just because you don't feel like doing it will not change the physical reality that shredded leaves become compost quickly and make a great mulch, while whole leaves mat down like a tarp, take years to compost, and make as good a mulch as parking a 57 Chevy on top of your tomatoes. All electric leaf blowers come with a reverse setting and a collection bag. So instead of just blowing your leaves back and forth onto your neighbor's driveway until one of you finally gives up and rakes them, you suck up those leaves and shred them while standing. No bending. Garden rule number one. Remember, kids, bending is for chumps. If you are bending, you're doing something wrong. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Shredded leaves make a great protection for the soil in raised beds over the winter. They prevent weed seeds from settling in and limit the amount of soil heaving from repeated cycles of freezing and thawing. You got lots of leaves, mulch all your beds with shredded leaves, and then empty all the rest into the biggest wire bin you can fill. Add nothing else. Come spring, the bottom of that leaf pile will be finished compost of exceptional quality, and the top and sides will still be shredded leaves, which I just read somewhere make an excellent mulch. Now, when spring does arrive, it would behoove you to temporarily rake or hoe that mulch off of your raised beds a week or two before you intend to plant anything in them. This will allow the sun to strike your soil directly and warm it up much faster. Then plant and then remulch. Tomatoes should only be mulched with finished yard waste shredded leaf compost to help prevent the diseases to which these gateway drugs of gardening are so prone. Same with roses, actually double with roses. Everything else in your garden and landscape can be mulched and should be mulched with shredded leaves. A two inch mulch of shredded leaves prevents weeds and earthworms will move in underneath it and turn your lousy soil into something closer to good soil. Well, that sure was a definitive take on leaf mulch now, wasn't it? Luckily for those of you who wishes to read it over in detail, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week where? At the Gardens Alive website.
Yikes, my producer is threatening to make off with my mulch. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 1-833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Don't forget to include your location. You'll find all of this new contact information at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick works the phones. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editors are Concrete Kelly Hurd and Jelly Roll Jake Boyer. Our floor manager, John DeSantis, is oaky, but with a hint of smoke, a backstory of raspberries, and the unmistakable scent of a copy of Amazing Fantasy 15 that was stored in a somewhat musty attic. Harassed and harried, Javier Diaz is our director, maybe our producer, and can't wait for lunch. Regal Ron Rouché is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jaunty Jim McDonald. Our chief techno officer is Andy, don't touch that wire, Cummins. Zach the Takwasneski is in the house, and he's still wearing those rubber boots. Our CEO, Tim Fallon, is not our executive producer, is still late for a meeting, and has offered to wear a wire if it means possible prison time for me, your host, Mike McGrath. That said, I got nothing to say, except maybe I want a lawyer, a Philly lawyer, who will explain why I got nothing to say. Not one of those Pennsylvania Dutch lawyers who just says, say now. Other than that, I don't know any of these people. Ron, who, John, what? I know nothing with those names. I know no one with the name of Fallon. Isn't that a bird? The truth is that I was kidnapped. Yeah, that's it. I was home packing for a holiday, then a strange car pulled up outside, and I woke up in Wales. That part is actually true, but it was 40 years ago. Briefcase? What briefcase? That thing down there? Ah, is that yours? I never saw it before. Uh, but can I press this little button on the side before you take it? Hey, cats and kittens, if they say yes, I'll see you all again next week.